Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of Yes Sir Hey Chirp. My name is Mark and today it's a special day because together with Dennis, we do have a guest with us today. Uh, I'll get him to introduce himself in a little bit. Uh, but before that, I think we do need, because everybody is dying of anticipation, what's the weather been like then? I, uh, Mark, you would not believe this. It's <laughs> sunny, blue sky, and apparently it's 15 degrees. And on television, they're warning people about something called ultraviolet, whatever it is, that causes sunburn. I'm thinking, can you possibly get a sunburn in 15 degrees? <laughs> Not sure it's evidence-based, mate. Not like our podcast. All right. Okay. And today we have with us Will Lim. Uh, he's from Singapore Polytechnic and he's the Centre Director for the Centre for Ex- Immersive... Okay. I don't think I got this right. So I'll get Will to introduce himself because uh, I only know the acronym as IXTC. I'll get okay. him to explain it. So Will, go ahead, please. Can you just Hi, let everyone. everyone know who you are? Hi, Mark and Dan. Thanks for inviting me and having me here today. Okay, Mark, at least you got the, the acronym, the right? acronym, IXTC. correct. <laughs> yes. So IXTC stands for Immersive Experience Technology Centre. So as the That's name right. suggests, right, uh, the centre actually looks at uh, using immersive technologies and since we are part of the Singapore Polytechnic, so itself for teaching and learning. So that's really the main bread and butter of what the centre does. Cool. So I'm happy here today to share about this topic and have a discussion with the two of you. Right. Nice. Okay. So uh, it's good that you are here because uh, I think both Dennis and myself are what we would call uh, noobs to the whole idea of uh, immersive learning. So it's good that we have someone who is experienced and who can maybe educate us a little bit and also for the people who are listening to this podcast. Now, before we jump into the topic uh, directly, just to do a little bit of a plug. So if you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you are listening to us for the very first time, uh, please do like the podcast and also please share it with someone whom you think will benefit from the podcast. So today, we are going to be looking at immersive learning Uh, And maybe also to try and unpack a little bit on why it's not been exploited enough in teaching and learning. So let's start with Dennis. Dennis, when I say the term immersive learning, what comes to your mind? Well, let's unpack this a little bit. The idea of being immersed in something means that you're very much in it, that you're very involved, right? Right. So if we take this and apply it to learning, would say we're very much involved in the learning process. In other words, let's suppose I want to get competent at football. One way I'd be very immersed in it is to actually play football in competitive environments in a range of situations, right? So if we translate that as as an example from the specific to the general, the idea would be that when we teach students to learn stuff, they will learn it better and more powerfully if they're fully immersed in that particular environment. For example, let's take something like customer service. You can go to a lecture and you can have someone talking about, oh, it's important to have emotional intelligence. You know, one must listen to the customer. The customer is always right. 
and um, those kind of things. And they can talk about different strategies of if you are being shouted at, well, don't take it personal. This is all relevant underpinning knowledge, but there's nothing like learning about customer service by being immersed in it. And I'll give you a story, right, to really illustrate this. Um, many years ago, um, as a student, I did a variety of jobs. And one job that I did was selling carbon type paper in offices <laughs> and we had a briefing and they told us how much we can earn if we if we sell x amount we're going to get so much money and i would go into offices in london knock on the door and say i'd like to speak to someone to do with procurement or whatever and then they say who are you and i said my name's mr sale that is my name s-a-l-e <laughs> and usually people would fall about laughing and um whatever um sometimes they'd see me some usually as a novelty item i think but when i actually went in there and tried to sell stuff by doing the right things you know talking about the product asking them what their needs many times they just say to me can you just get lost or something um akin to that that we don't want to put on podcasts right and it really hit me what it's like to be immersed in that real world of selling as opposed to sitting in the lecture theater discussing negative responses and interpersonal behavior so yeah immersive learning means that you try to make the learning experience like it is in the real world of learning so if you're going to learn about military conduct i suppose the most <laughs> experience would be to go over to ukraine now really and do a bit of fighting <laughs> that'd be pretty immersive wouldn't it yeah okay yeah. so okay yeah. yeah so that's that's the the perspective from Dennis. Now we'll bring Will in because I think Will will come from the technology perspective as well. So Will, what does immersive learning mean to you and why do you think it's starting to gain a little bit more traction now? Okay, so uh, there, are, there are two parts to your question. Maybe let's start with the first part about what immersive learning is all about. Sure. So after hearing a story from Dennis, uh, it's true that immersive learning has the element of being immersed in the learning itself and being learned by doing. So uh, I think this is something that has been um, used, I think, even way before technology has been a thing. It's uh, maybe doing a role play or students uh, are asked to, in a sense, uh, maybe go to the company, take up an internship to do, do that form of learning. Uh, even with technology being a, a, a big thing now, uh, doing that form of learning is still necessary, which is why I think in the universities, in the polytechnics and in schools, Towards the end of learning, they still have this apprenticeship, internship kind of model. But I think increasingly, we are bringing this learning of being immersed uh, while you are learning earlier into, into the education. So with technology and so on, from the te technology perspective, uh, immersive learning is very similar to experiential learning, except that there's a very strong technology uh, piece to it. So I think... Uh, one of the things that people will always uh, think about when it comes to immersive learning is uh, thinking about what is augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality, mixed reality, all the big buzzwords that's going out there now, the AR, VR, and MR. So actually, AR, VR, and MR, which are the different kind of realities, are basically just tools to actually aid in uh, delivering immersive learning. So one of the key things that uh, Dennis really mentioned about is really key to immersive learning is really the active participation of the learner. So the learning is really in an environment as realistic as possible, made possible by, by technology, 
uh, in the digital world to actually experience uh, the learning, make a choice, and while doing it, they learn. Of course, in this sense, the in the digital sense, how it actually differs from slightly different from other forms of uh, electronic learning is that typically immersive learning is non-linear. So unlike learning where you do from step one to two to three and so on, immersive learning typically allows the students or the learner to actually explore, freely make their choice, freely make mistakes to, to the extent where the, the, the application or solutions allow them to, and really experience and see the consequence. So that also leads to a powerful thing that uh, technology, a digital world can provide, which is to allow the students a safe space to actually try out various things, to learn by making mistakes, especially catastrophic mistakes, which you can't make in real life. So I can't bring a student into a lab and say that, okay, you can start mixing the chemical and then start <laughs> seeing them mix acid to alkaline and, and see an explosion or, or some, some uh, unwanted uh, reaction. But you mm -hmm. can do that in a digital world. So okay. They, so they can really understand that if you, it's not good to mix uh, this kind of solution with that kind of solution. You see an explosion and you see maybe a text saying that uh, the lab got burned down. But the, the students are, are free to explore, to try out, and really to experience it. And right. With learning and uh, in mind, right, typically learning involves some form of feedback. So in immersive learning with technology, especially after students are free to explore and do what they want, this feedback system that is built into the, the, the learning solutions help the student learn along the way. It could be a mistake, it could be a correct thing to do, or it could be students uh, accidentally did something right. I mean, there are maybe five choices, just randomly picking a 20% chance of getting it right. So we can build in the system such a way that you can actually firstly uh, understood that the student actually made uh, a mistake and correct it for them or teach them how to correct it or the feedback to them. Or if they do it right, to really verify that they understood what they are doing by uh, using, I think, multiple points of reference to, to determine that what they know is really what they know. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so, uh, Will, before I bring Dennis uh, back on, I just want you to maybe quickly just give us a bit of a context. What's the difference between VR, virtual reality, mm. AR, augmented reality, and just now I think you also use the term MR, which is mixed reality. So yeah. can you just help clear this up for people who are listening to, to us? Okay, the, the augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality are just three different types of technology. I mean, the, the lines between them are starting to blur uh, because different companies represent them different ways. But basically, these technologies are just uh, you embedding or augmenting or, or even putting a layer of digital um, assets or, or uh, digital information over the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, sometimes like if you are looking at a full virtual reality, there may not be any real world represented. Everything is digital. But basically, it's using technology to build a, a, something digital over what the student sees and what the student experience. So the three different realities are just tools that enable uh, immersive learning. Right. But okay. this may not be the only tool that uh, enable immersive learning. Because right. we can use things like 360. Okay. Uh, we can use things like a digital environment to actually enable immersive learning too. Right. So these are just the, some of the tools that allows immersive learning to happen. Which okay. is why, uh, as you mentioned, increasingly there's an interest in it. Because increasingly there's a proliferation of such technologies. And it's slightly within graphs, I would say, of most people.
Okay. Cool. So thanks for setting that context. So I'm going back to Dennis now. Dennis, can you imagine uh, going back to your story uh, when you had to sell carbon paper? So can you imagine uh, before they actually sent you out, they actually gave you uh, a digital learning environment to immerse yourself in the environment to practice your sales pitch before you actually went out to sell carbon paper. How does that sound to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the concept, I mean, these terms now that are flying around, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, that, that would create quite a bit of confusion. Now, let's go back to the situation, right? Um, certainly, if I'm, I could go into a virtual reality where I'm doing the sales pitches and I'm making choices and I'm getting feedback. Yeah, it's great because I can go through, I think what's called, and Will, you can come back on this, something called expectation failure. And I remember, I think it was Roger Shank, um, who was a big advocate of dynamic simulation and that kind of thing. And I think uh, simulations, very authentic simulations are an example of um, immersive learning. In other words, I've seen simulations. I've worked a lot with the uh, maritime industry and they are in a situation where they're in the ship's cabin and things are happening. The simulator will throw up scenarios and they have to solve problems, working teams. And obviously, if they crash the ship in the simulator, um, <laughs> they're getting some good um, expectation failure. You know, they're learning of things that they need to do or not do as opposed to being out on the other. Right. Okay, so now that we... I can see the... Essentially, a good simulation is um, virtual reality, more or less, um, in certain respects, and it's very immersive. But it's a physical reality, whereas I think when you're talking about virtual reality and immersive learning, that it's all digital. It isn't a physical reality of objects and things. It's not It's not an actual ship's cabin, cabin where people are touching machines. It's all done yeah. purely as a kind, a bit like an hologram, I guess. Does that make sense? Um, actually, um, I think the lines has been blurred. So the simulation you're you are describing, whether is it a ship simulation or uh, maybe a pilot, flight training simulator. Yeah. These are very, very real uh, immersive uh, learning because the, the tra trainee is really in the situation itself. Um, the reason why uh, I mentioned these two simulators are basically because these are the two professions that have been using simulators for decades probably. Uh, the, the only reason why I think that could be the case, this of course is my personal opinion, it's because simulators are expensive to build in the in the past. I mean, yeah, it's increasingly cheaper, which is why only professions where you can uh, potentially crash a million-dollar plane or million-dollar uh, ship uh, requires a million-dollar simulator to, to actually train the, the, the learners before you put them out on the actual ship or on the actual fight, fighter plane. Yeah. But I think right now with, with the... the, the increase or rather the decrease in cost of building such a simulation uh, there are there are now uh, more more and more uh, domains that actually can use immersive simulation as part of their training right and, and the physical and digital uh, interactions i would say are 
there is no there is no uh condition for it to be 100% digital or maybe 80% digital for it to be considered immersive learning i think as long as there's a digital simulated uh component i think that could be constitute immersive learning at least that's the definition we adopt at uh ixdc so for okay. example your ship simulator because whatever you see on that view screen the viewport are all simulated are all computer generated so that's the element of immersive learning there right okay so yeah so now maybe now may be a good time will for you to just you know uh share with us uh, a little bit more of uh, some of the work that you are doing especially in the area of teaching and learning or training uh, what are some of the ways uh, in which lecturers or educators are using immersive learning to enhance the student learning experience? Okay, so immersive learning, as I mentioned, has been used uh, more and more increasingly, yep. uh, especially for STEM-related uh, learning. Okay. So, uh, and, and especially uh, when you talk about uh, doing lab work or doing some experiments, things that require hands-on. So okay. uh, the, the work that we have, uh, two particular ones that stands, stands out in my mind. One is yep. with a chemistry lab, in a chemistry lab setting, okay. where the students uh, uh, use the immersive learning uh, learning package to actually uh, perform some chemistry experiments on a fairly expensive and limited uh, device, which they don't get access often. And because the fact that there is actually a lot of points where students can make uh, a mistake, so, which is why having immersive learning allows them to do more practice before the, the lesson itself and maybe even after the lesson leading to a test. So, they can, they can understand where are the, where are the points where they, they could make a very, very small error, uh, which are sometimes uh, easily overlooked. And it being di digital also allow us to collect the, the, the information about uh, students' performance. So I think immersive learning, on top of seeing it as a tool to allow students to, to have uh, more practice, actually one of the main thing or key thing which I thought immersive learning is actually very powerful is really to uh, empower the, the teachers to actually uh, be able to tweak their learning in class based on the results that they get from this immersive learning uh, scenario. So I being a teacher, if I know that my students tend to make mistakes uh, in step three where they need to mix uh, chemical a and extract it out uh, before they put it into the the, the hplc uh, machine if i know that that is where most of my students made some error uh, i can actually then in my lesson when i'm actually have, having contact time with the students really focus on these problem areas and and get the students to to, to really watch out on it or when when students perform certain uh steps uh, which are questionable but most most of them does that or the significant number of them does that in the in the uh, virtual environment i can then highlight um, these mistakes when i'm meeting the students and of course also to to teach them the the, the principles behind why things should be done in the in, in a specific way so that they actually can remember uh pointing out to them i mean of course with reference to the mistake they made in the virtual environment so uh, that's it, right? Uh, even though we are advocate of using uh, immersive learning to replace uh, some teaching, but it is not a full replacement. Actual okay. hands-on is still necessary. Okay, so can you just elaborate a bit more when you say it is not a full replacement? What, what does that mean? 
Okay, so um, when it comes to uh, learning uh, something that is very hands-on, yep. there's always a need for feedback. Okay. Feedback meaning that, uh, say I can design, which we are doing now, uh, a training scenario that teaches uh, sailors or, or rather uh, people at the wharf to actually secure a ship. Yep. So it's a mooring experiment, I'm sorry, a mooring scenario yep. where they are supposed to secure the mooring ropes. So as much as they can actually do everything without any error or and being able to respond to any uh, incident, but not being able to experience the hot sun, not right. being able to experience the force that they need to, to really uh, pull the ropes, right. uh, that is always missing in a digital training environment. Right, right. So, okay. so after they learn all the various possibilities and, and the, the actual steps and the right uh, procedures of handling all this, they will then need to really try it out in an actual uh, wharf with actual rope. Okay. So so what you are saying, okay, so I just really understand the feedback and everything that's involved. Right. So basically yeah. what you're saying is it can complement, it doesn't replace, right? Yeah, it doesn't replace. Yeah. Okay. So then I'm, yeah. So Dennis, do, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of just as well. As you were talking, well, I was thinking of a couple of teaching scenarios. Now, one would be, um, believe it or not, I um, I've coached football. Um, despite being a Spurs supporter, people would say, "Well, how can you possibly have coached football if you support Tottenham, who never win anything?" Um, the truth of it is, I was just kind of thinking about using immersive learning. Now, obviously, at the end of the day, if you coach football the players have got to go out on the pitch and do it in the real world, right? Uh, and I was thinking, how would um, immersive learning help to uh, enhance or prepare people to be better footballers? Would it? Would that? Would, would you have some simulated environment where they look at different scenarios on the pitch and things are happening? They're saying, well, what would you do? Where would you move positionally? Because in football, a lot of it is is the strategy and perception thing. So would you see immersive learning helping uh, footballers to have a better sense of strategy and decision-making, which often doesn't occur in the professional game, um, but not actually teaching the skills of football? Would you see it in that way? Yes, I totally agree with what, what you said. So basically, they can learn about positioning. They can learn about uh, understanding the, the, the positions of everyone, where the ball is coming, where everyone is, and, and, and to react react to it, they, they, they could move to a certain position uh, in the digital training scenario and, and see if that, that move is, is, is an ideal one will lead to scoring a goal or losing possession. But you can never be able to teach how to dribble well, right, how so to pass would... the ball and yeah. how to shoot. Yeah, that, I, I totally get Sorry, that because... uh, yeah. Then can you say again? Yeah. Sorry, me to say again. It feels like... Yeah, yeah, because I think you were cut off. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fine. So, it, I mean, the, let, let's go back to anchor ourselves in what we're about in this podcast. And that is to look at developing expertise in teaching and creative teaching. And that must have some evidence base. So I'm looking at teaching something. The initial thing is to have very good pedagogic design based on the way the brain works. And I know with immersive um, um, learning, uh, Will, that it does it does derive a lot of its basis from cognitive science, doesn't it? That's true. Mm. 
Yeah. And also, you it can use, obviously, learning analytics, which, again, is consistent with um, cognitive science because it gives people feedback in real time, doesn't it? Yes. And it gets it can get students to do good critical and creative thinking. So that way you put people in an, in an immersive environment and they have to kind of um, say, well, they've got to analyze the situation. They're going to make inference interpretations. They've got to evaluate. So it's a very good way of enhancing in a very practical, immersive way, you know, more more authentic way, the development of critical and creative and metacognitive thinking in a near as possible real world context does that make sense yep that's right okay yeah. so that's that, that's a big point and i do think you know the more i look at it uh, more we have we can use technology from a pedagogically sound way to enhance aspects of the learning process in particular thinking decision making and also motivation i think it's much more motivating to be in a more immersive environment uh, so you know the intrinsic motivational aspects and the authenticity are very positive features so uh, i see mixed reality um, and i think augmented reality is easier and cheaper than the virtual reality component being increasingly systemic to the way teaching and training is going to go. And it's certainly going to be cost effective as these technologies are um, more affordable, because certainly at the moment to set up a, a, a virtual reality program is a pretty expensive thing. And, you know, yeah. for teachers to be doing this in schools, uh, you know, in most lessons, it's a nice to have, but um, and not a feasible, not feasible economically, particularly in, in 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 the present situation of what appear to be educational cuts. So that's just my frame for the moment. Right. Okay. So I think we we there's a lot to unpack. Uh, but I I just want to to draw the the discussion back to, uh, so far we have talked about all the good things of what immersive learning can do, especially supported by the, the tech. It can help to complement learning. It can also help with metacognition. Uh, and it can also now integrate aspects of feedback to help improve performance. So if all these things are really what are the plus points of immersive learning, uh, and I know that there is rising interest in it, but generally adoption is still quite poor. Uh, and I don't just mean by adoption of the technology, I just mean in general immersive learning is not exactly uh, talked about in uh in, in, in awe with some of the other teaching and learning methods. So why is that so? Maybe let's start with that. Why do you think immersive learning is still yet to catch on as the next big thing? You asked me, well, I do think there are economic considerations. Okay. I think kind of uh, for a lot of educationists and teachers to look at this and think, wow, this is going to be a lot more work for me and I might not be able to do it. So I mm. think there's a kind of apprehension um, fear might be a strong word, but it would certainly come into play. Uh, it just seems, you know, it's like a paradigm change, isn't it? Like when we worked quite a lot, Mark, didn't we, in promoting more active learning, experiential learning. When we were talking to teachers, you need to make your lectures more active and you start talking about group work and various other kind of interactive aspects a lot of teachers uh, were spooked by that because they were just used to preparing their powerpoint slides and kind of reading them up off the um, screen 
But eventually they started to realize that if you have more active learning methods, it's good for the brain. It provides variation, cognitive load, increases engagement, intrinsic motivation. And when done well, um, is more impactful in terms of building understanding. So I think the same kind of mini revolution paradigm change is going to have to uh, occur uh, because the benefits of immersive learning are definitely there. Once it becomes cost effective, it's then a question of, if you like, managing the change process for teachers who um, have got to come out of their comfort zones again and realise that when you're a teacher, you're also a learner and it's a lifelong process. Okay, thanks for, for that perspective. Now I'll go to Will. Will, why do you think, uh, and I know you do work quite closely with our lecturers, Besides the fact that actually building this thing takes time and might put some people off, why do you think also adoption maybe is a little bit slow? So I have to emphasize also on the point that Dan has mentioned, which is uh, the cost is one issue because uh, developing such things takes time. So, right. uh, so time is usually translated into cost, cost of building that solution. Um, and because of the cost involved, a lot of times when we are looking at uh, teaching very basic uh, procedural kind of things or process kind of thing, it's typically uh, more cost effective to use a slightly more traditional way, be it uh, uh, interactive learning, uh, e-learning, uh, a lecture, a video, and so on. But if you are looking at creating a more complex scenario, assuming if cost is not an issue, uh, development time is not an issue, there's also the the part about design. So uh, when, I, when, I, when I talk about design, I come from two uh, aspects of design. The first one, which is learning design. Uh, I'm not a pedagogy expert here, so I shouldn't talk much about that. But learning design is very important when it comes to, to immersive learning because you need to really understand uh, what exactly is it that the, the, the students need to learn after going through that scenario. And... A lot of immersive uh, type training that I've seen or, and personally experienced is that uh, it sometimes devolves down to just teaching the students how to do from step one to step 10, which doesn't leverage on the strength of immersive learning and could be easy, more easily done elsewhere. So that's that one, one of the issues why adoption may be a bit lower because when someone tries to build an immersive learning with, 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 with a technology group or technology uh, team, what happens is that the design devolves down to this and then they realize that if that's all that I'm teaching or, or, or getting from this package, I, why don't I just use a PowerPoint? Why don't right. I just show students a video? So right. I think that, that, that back and forth between the learning design, the technology design, and even a scenario design needs to come very, very hand in hand. And that is something which I see is, I mean, it's improving over time, but it's missing in a lot of applications out there that I've seen. The right. next thing that uh, I, I also want to point out is because now when the, for, the, for the teachers to be involved, it's really a lot of effort and time. Not only is it scary to, to look at something new, a new technology, as what Dan has mentioned, the way that you design the learning and envision and, 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 and what needs to be what needs to be inside is also very different. Okay. So let me just give you an example. Yep. So if I'm a teacher and I want, I want to teach the student how to do titration, yep. uh, which is a chem, uh, chemical, uh, chemistry uh, 
process where they okay. actually extract yeah. out liquid. Will, will, hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. Let's test Dennis. Dennis, what's titration? <laughs> well, it's, it's to do with extracting something from something, isn't it? Using a pipette or something. <laughs> yes, like that. that's right, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, well, I, did, I did achieve O level chemistry uh, <laughs> a few centuries ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, Just, it's uh, O level chemistry. Yeah. Right? I mean, we yeah, don't understand it... the process very well, but yeah. at least we know what is it about. So yeah, as a said... teacher, yeah. I design a learning aid for teaching titration. I just need to focus on what are the right steps to do. To do titration, you need to do this, followed by this, followed by this. Uh, once in a while, I may point out certain common mistakes that I, I'm aware of based on my teaching experience and put it in a notes. But by, by and large, a lot of notes, a lot of things you prepare are what is the right way to do it. But when you're designing immersive learning, because having to, the need to show students what happens if you don't do the right thing, you have to start thinking about what are the, all the possible wrong things that the student will do. And then introduce that in the design and in the development of that application. You right. can no longer just focus on doing what's right. right. Because what if the student do something wrong? Because you also don't want your learning to become something, as I mentioned earlier, devolved down to just what are the right steps. You want to speak back to the students, you want to show the students what is the consequence or what's the result of doing a wrong thing in a specific way. So right. that part of design requires the, the, the teacher to actually consider way more para parameters. And because of that, uh, it starts to get a bit difficult and time-consuming. Okay, okay. So I'll I'll stick I'll, I'll stick with you for now, I will. So if that is the case, and, and I know you work very closely with lecturers to advise them on how they should do their designs. So for someone who's listening to this and thinking, okay, you know, I would like to dabble a little bit in terms of uh, AR or VR. Uh, how should I start? What, what can I do to start small? Uh, and then get ready because that same question will be asked of you. <laughs> okay, uh... So, I, so basically, designing a good uh, immersive learning uh, solution actually is a very iterative process that needs to okay. go back and forth uh, and with a lot of testing. La. So maybe fast prototyping, test with the students, find out uh, what, what may be missing, what's right, what's wrong, and make corrections. Right. So, so rather, than, uh, rather than just uh, so, so put yourself into a situation where you, you, you may go into a never-ending cycle, I thought it would be good to just start small. Okay. So there's, a, there's quite a number of learning packages that are really available out there. Okay. Learning packages has it could be developed by somebody else where you can pay a small fee to try. There are those that has, uh, that has demo out there for, for you to at least try out like maybe half experiment or one experiment or, or maybe you have to subscribe to something for a month or two. Or there are actually authoring platforms out there uh, that allows the teachers to actually very rapidly create something. Yeah. So I think if, if anyone is interested to, to actually try this out, you just try out with these simple tools first. But uh, do have to uh, bear in mind that none of these will probably fit your need uh, 100%, maybe not even 80%. But as you're trying out, you'll understand what works and what doesn't. So when, it time, when it's time to really sit down to put in a resource, and put in the time to actually design something customized or tailored to your, to your requirement, you already have an idea what works and more importantly, what doesn't work. Okay. So, Will, uh, you mentioned some of these packages. Can you just give us the names of this? Okay. So, one of the, 
one of the company which I thought uh, creates quite fairly good uh, authoring tool and, and, and some tools to try out is actually this company called Hiverlab. And how do we spell that? H-I-V-E-R-L-A-B. Okay, so okay. Hiverlab. Hiver okay, yeah. I'll, I'll so, put the link in the show notes. Okay, yes, uh, yeah. carry on. Yeah. So they have, they have some platforms that uh, allow uh, instructors to actually do uh, take the demo, create a very, I would say, quick and dirty... Uh, whether it's the AR or VR kind of uh, learning, and they can actually quickly deploy it. But of course, uh, to unlock the full functionality, I think you probably need to do a subscription. But I think uh, before, before we will move there, I think it's good to at least to try out and to understand the, the, what is required, the amount of effort that's required to actually put something like that together. I thought right. that, that's a very good, uh, that's a very good start. Okay. Because uh, once, once again, a lot of times... Uh, when we are interacting with uh, lecturers, um, they, they do not understand the limitations because there are indeed some limitations on uh, creating immersive uh, solutions. So they will have like very, very large and big uh, objectives and goals. Right. So, and because it, it, it started off very big, uh, so, at, so at, at that point of time, the, the technology guys, which are typically my team, they would not know which among that big list of uh, wants and requirements are actually important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But okay. due to time constraint and resource requirement, typically this, this list will be, will be cut down. And sometimes the wrong thing got cut. Because, right. uh, because uh, when, when, when faced with time limitation, sometimes cutting, the, the, the things that got cut may not be the... The, the least important ones, but just be the most difficult to develop ones. So that's why having a very targeted, a very good design, knowing what exactly you want at the beginning, uh, helps when it comes to the design process. Right. Okay. So then I'm going to I'm going to switch to you. Now, can you share with us from an evidence-based perspective, uh, how can lecturers get started on this? In when you talk well, about immersive learning. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, let's apply. Um, what we know about the learning process. First yep. of all, there's got to be some initial motivation for them to do that. Now, that right. could be initiated by them. It could be initiated by the school itself, the department. So you, the, the way I would kind of look at it, within certain subject areas where there is a feeling that making the learning more immersive would be more powerful cognitively as well as intrinsically motivating and then take some key concepts and some key competences that are really enduring in that field that are not something that you you invest time and money and then a year later it's got no utility so making some good pedagogic decisions within the curriculum of um, some key competency areas um, complex concepts that you can then say, right, how can we create an environment um, where uh, it's going to be immersive and the technology can make that a much better, richer learning experience? It's good to do it in the team because I think then it takes a bit of pressure off of individuals. And it helps, obviously, if somebody in that team has um, good pedagogic knowledge. Right. Hopefully, most teachers should have some of that. And also that someone has quite a bit of technical knowledge, because that way it will take some of the pain away of discovery learning. So to look at an area of the curriculum, 
think about the competence, think about the types of thinking capabilities, the attitudinal components that could be developed by that immersive learning experience, and then have a go at doing it and recognise that um, in doing anything, there'd be, there's a need for deliberate practice, there's a need for expert feedback, there's a need for persistence, and that's true of any learning thing that, you know, involves... Um, going above one's existing knowledge, understanding and competence level. Uh, that's basically it. Right. Okay, cool. So uh, let's wrap up this segment uh, by actually getting you guys to do a little bit of a prediction. So I'm going to get Will to give a prediction. Will, from what you are seeing, and uh, take us down 10 years down the road, how do you see immersive learning? Uh, is it going to explode or is it just going to be where it is? What, what would that look like? Uh, give us a little bit of excitement on what uh, immersive learning would look like in 10 years. I mean, with uh, AI getting better, with hardware getting cheaper and with like big companies, uh, you know, shouting that they want to be part of the metaverse and everything. I believe that uh, in 10 years time, uh, likely a lot of learning uh, will be done in, in the virtual world. Uh, of course, like, as I mentioned, I don't think it can ever replace the real world. But then again, uh, science fiction has always proved us wrong. So who knows? We might be uh, remotely uh, operating various things via robots and then uh, learning everything in, in, a, in a virtual world where, you know, like maybe feedback may not be as important anymore or we have like micro servos uh, on our our gloves that allow us to actually touch something digitally. I mean, uh, all these are all on the tables. Lah, because uh, different companies have come and gone trying out to build such things. Uh, but of course, uh, due to either cost or bulkiness or, or, or various various reasons, uh, it didn't succeed. But who knows, the next, the next big, big company may, may create something that allow us to really learn digitally uh, for most of most of the things. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, Dennis, yourself, where do you think immersive learning is going 10 years from now? What would that look like? Are we all going to get rid of teachers and then we'll just go into this uh, virtual world and then just learn uh, learn everything from there? I, uh, we really, it's, it's, it's exciting and potentially marvellous, but obviously the negative side is it can be frightening. Uh, I'm excited by it because I like the idea of If you look at technology yeah, and you look at the different technologies, the genetics, the robotics, the IT, the nanotechnology, what is referred to as green technologies, as these things converge together, the potential for a kind of radical evolution um, is, is, is well documented by people like um, Ray Kerwell in the book The Singularity. So there's, there's so many exciting things. Uh, I'm, I'm a person who's curious and, and I love the challenge. So for me, um, I'm excited by it and I do that, that teaching and learning will become more immersive. The role of the teacher will change. The, the days of standing there and reading PowerPoint slides, I mean, that will be pre-Jurassic Park. Even the raptors won't survive. Um, so the implications <laughs> and challenges for educational systems and the, if you like, the um, the teaching learning landscapes are going to massively change. I actually like the challenge of it, but I do see there will be casualties. Um, in the short term, though, what I do see is that there's going to be a 
big, big increase in augmented reality and interactive videos, because I think the video with interactivity augmentation is not as fully immersive as Will would be visualising as a, a total mixed reality, but that is so much easier and cheaper to do and won't involve the um, the learning curve and the technological um, development because that's there now. You can use augmented reality very easily and make videos that are interactive and they are powerful visual mediums. So, you know, that that is along the continuum of, of the immersiveness. And that I think is going to be massive in the next two years, that the video, the interactive video with all of it will be the dominant learning object for the next two or three years. And that will eventually kind of morph into and um, emerge, mutate or whatever you, evolve is probably the best word, into more and more um, mixed reality components and forms. Right. Okay. I'm just going to. I just. Yeah. I just want to go back to what you just said. Uh. Because I think it's something that you mentioned that just suddenly struck a chord with me. Uh. Where you said you know the teachers. Uh. Will the role is going to change massively. Uh. What does that look like? You think. Um. And and I know we said you no. Know, they are not going to read off PowerPoint slides anymore. But I'm going to ask you to try and give us a little bit more insight. What, what would that look like in an immersive classroom? The teacher standing the, at the side of the student and giving feedback or as a guide? Or what, what, what would that look like? Well, it, all of those things and many more. And I'll tell you what, Mark, given, given what you've just said there, I think this could be a podcast in itself uh, over the next month or so. Yeah, maybe that's a good excuse to bring so, Will back. So many discontinuities and so many possible um, sort of uh, morphing, blending type things that could happen. That it, you know, for me to say anything meaningful now will be not. It will be cognitive overload for the listeners. I think we. I think we're better off being funny and moving on to the next bit, maybe. But that's just my friend. Yeah, big area. Let's do something on that. In, in the future podcast, absolutely on for that. All right. Okay. So, like I said, that would be an excuse to bring yeah. Will back. Of course, uh, I'll be uh, more than happy to be back. <laughs> okay. So, that would end the uh, first segment. And then now we'll move on to the second segment. And this is where uh, essentially each one of us shares something that we have found interesting or inspiring, something that we have read, or it could have been something that we have watched on YouTube, or even could have been something that uh, you know that has just struck us before we actually came onto the podcast. So we'll let our guests go first. So uh, Will, uh, anything for you to share with our uh, listeners? Okay, so this is not immersive le- learning uh, in per particular, yeah. but... But it is something that I think will enable immersive learning and how to change the landscape. So recently, uh, I came across this company that uh, uses AI to actually render a digital representation of the world. So not only is it uh, indoor, they are also doing massively for outdoors, for countries and so on. This company is called Vizio.ai. Yes, I've seen them. So they have created very, very impressive uh, landscapes and 3D world. So I thought that would set a very good backdrop for many of the immersive learning to actually take place. Right. So I we, can, we can actually, I mean, if the listeners are interested, they can actually check them out to see the, the, the 3D world that they have created. 
Right. I'll put a link uh, for them so that people who are interested can actually uh, click the link to see. So I've, I've seen some of the work they are doing. It's actually quite mind-blowing. Uh, mind so I'll leave the link for our listeners. If you're interested, you can click it and go and have a look. Thanks for sharing that one, uh, Will. Yourself, Dennis, what did yeah. you... Yeah, well, something for you to uh, share? I thought I'd do something just for you, you know, because every week you contribute an IT tool and, and, um, and I just kind of tell a bit of philosophy um, <laughs> and, um the odd quote but so i'm going to stay in the same thing but i know um i'm looking at the world like we all are i'm trying to make sense of what's going on you know we, we are talking about immersive learning here we are with technology talking across the world and yet kind of we you know we turn the news on and we see you know hundreds thousands of people being killed the environment in desecrated and you know what's going on you know the, the talk of even possibly you know nuclear um, technology being um, used and this really concerns me and it must concern people and I'm going to go on because I know you are well read in the philosophical tradition stoicism is that correct yes uh, no, I wouldn't say well read I'm a student of it Oh, right. Well, um, I've read quite a bit of it in the past and uh, my sort of philosophical roots are very much um, in sort of existential philosophy. Um, and um, I thought I'd, I'd read up a little bit on stoicism again, just to refresh my mind. And I think now living in the world, one thing that we need, apart from good critical thinking, good metacognition and um, um, creative thinking and using technology productively rather than destroying things is people need to think better but we've said that many many times and that's why we we're in education but i think people need at this point in time in life to be quite stoic and um um that's something that has really um kind of brought home to me i feel quite stoic at the moment because i'm sitting there looking at the world and thinking wow i've got i've got children and you know you think to yourself you know is this where we're going evolution we're still killing each other with technology it's kind of a bit scary um so a couple of quotes that i picked up from people that you would have read marcus aurelius yep um if it's not right do not do it if it's not true do not say it and you know as as a you know, as a species, uh, as global entity, we've got to have a better moral landscape that is more evidence-based. And we did have a bit of a pod on that at one stage, but um, I, I look at what's going on and it don't feel right to me. And if it's not true, do not say it because you can listen to the news and you're getting multiple realities. So, it's not all true. And how do we get people to uh, have a better understanding of the truth and how do we see the wood from the trees and for young people today it must be very confusing and one more quote that i like from epitetus epitetus yeah. yeah is it a boy i don't know is it guy or what? i don't know um but i like this one and i i, I kind of keep thinking we're living in this world where we're consuming things in the environment we talk about recycling and all that um for me i'm, I'm quite a minimalist and um i love this quote from this character and that is wealth consists not in having great possessions but in having few wants and i think that kind of thing because i do think that you know our, our culture created a kind of materialistic hubris and you know maybe we need to revisit <laughs> aspect of that 
so there's so I've ended up with a bit of philosophy, but it is grounded. I deliberately did read a bit more on this to actually contribute more than my um, kind of um, mundane contributions as compared to yours, mate. <laughs> Esoteric. So, I, would, I, I wouldn't call it mundane. Esoteric, maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. As, as variety, and yeah. what we do on this channel is to look at the, the evidence of things that are useful in teaching and learning, but also improving the quality of people's thinking. And hopefully, that's what education's about, isn't it? So that we, yeah. uh, we do yeah. better you know, um, in human conduct and the way we deal with uh, the challenges facing us now, which are significantly greater than yesteryear in terms of massive threats to human existence and human flourishing and survival. Right. Okay. So thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, I do have another tool to share this week uh, as I was fiddling around with it. Uh, and I think this one might be familiar to most people, if not all people who are listening, but I just thought it might be worth sharing anyway. Uh, and it's another Google Chrome extension. So for those of us who love to use the web browser Chrome, uh, this is just an extension that you can add to your web browser. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Will would know about this. It's the Evernote uh, web clipper. Hmm. Uh, so I know many of us are using the Evernote uh, app to take notes uh, but what I think this extension does is it allows you to save interesting things you find on the web directly to your Evernote account now what it does is it allows you to capture ideas uh, with ease where you can save articles web pages and screenshots directly into one place okay to your Evernote uh, and what this then allows you to do is you can just capture the parts that you want without having to take down the whole document. Uh, you can, of course, take full pages or just only a paragraph. Uh, and, and that is, I know you enjoy looking at quotes. So you can now use this to just find the part that you like and then just cut it out without having to download the entire document. Uh, and then, of course, you can customize any of your clips by adding highlights even putting text overlay and you can even annotate some of this so that you can also then share it with someone via email. Mm -hmm. So I thought this is some of the things that can, you know, uh, it's quite cool, makes your job a little bit more productive and, uh, and I think it's fairly easy to use uh, and I'll go and try it out. So for those of you who are looking for a simple organizer for, because I know as teachers and educators, we do a lot of research on the, uh, on the web uh, now, this gives you a nifty little tool to consolidate all your research, uh, annotate in one place so that you can easily share it with your students or synthesize it and then create your own notes. Okay? So, that's something I would hope that we all go and check out if you can. Will, do you use Evernote? Yes. And I just want to add one point uh, to, about yeah. Evernote. So, yeah. in case anyone of you is new to Evernote, don't subscribe to it at full price because mm. they often have sales. There you go. That's one of the tips that from uh, from our guests. So I think that already just deserves a second callback for Will for sharing <laughs> a, a, a useful way to save money. <laughs> so that ends today's episode. Now, before we go, I'll just get both Will and Dan to say their last few words for the episode. Dan, let's start with you. Anything to say to, say to our listeners? Yeah, well... Um... It's been great talking to you, Will, and um, um, 
and you were a past student of mine. Um, so that's kind of nice uh, as a final thing. And it's great work that you're doing. So continue. And um, I, I need to learn more in this area of technology and mixed reality. So um, let's hope you can join us again, because I think this is a thing, a theme and an area that we need to revisit in different ways, different areas. So nice to chat to you again. Right. Will? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm coming from the other side. So I think there's a lot for me to learn about pedagogy and, and actually learning, especially that's a huge thing. So technology on its own is just technology, just a tool. So I thought that to really make it useful, that's where all the pedagogical ideas and everything and how you actually apply the technology that's actually important. So I, I would also like to come back more often to actually learn from the two gurus. All right. Perfect. So thank you very much, Will, for taking your time, uh, taking some time out from your busy schedule. Uh, especially, I know now we are in the, uh, we, it is evening in Singapore. We hope we didn't uh, take you away from dinner. Uh, but thanks again for sharing your thoughts. And thank you, everyone, for staying with us. Uh, and we hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. Now, should you want to get in touch with us, once again, you can do so by writing an email to us at uh, evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. Once again, it is evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. I'll put the uh, email address in the show notes and you can get in touch with us. So that's another episode uh, and we are, it's a wrap and we'll see each another soon. Or we'll list, or we'll, we will see each another soon. So take care, guys. Continue to stay safe uh, and we'll speak soon. Take care and bye-bye. And bye from me. <laughs>